Ogumbawale for the win. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at Locked On WBB. You can listen to all of our remarkable hosts, whether it's Eric Ayala or Amy Audebert or Gabe Ibrahim, talking about the women's game that we all love all the time. I am here because of Built Bar. Built Bar, we've talked about it a lot here, right? It's Grandma Myrna's favorite, my mom. It's going to be Memorial Day weekend. You're going to be out on the barbecue. She doesn't like barbecue. You're going to be out there at the beach, maybe having cold beer. She doesn't drink beer. What does she live on? Built Bar. Built Bar has nine flavors. Nine flavors. Her favorite is peanut butter brownie, but she likes them all. 17 grams of protein, 130 calories. Only four grams net carbs. Make sure you go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Promo code L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. Tell them Grandma Myrna sent you. Well, I'm here on the dawn of a Memorial Day weekend, and the New York Liberty are five and one. Five and one. So I thought it was a really good opportunity in light of that to talk to the foremost New York Liberty expert I know, somebody who wrote a sensational piece looking at the New York Liberty through history for Sports Illustrated, and that is Jackie Powell. Jackie Powell, how are you? I'm all right, Howard. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me on to talk about the New York Liberty. It still feels really surreal that they're five and one. So you're talking about the New York Liberty, and obviously we want to talk about the SI piece because uh, that's very important. Are there are there any other places that you uh, cover the New York Liberty just you know as a team also? Yes, I, I cover the Liberty very in-depth at the next, which is the only place where you can get wall-to-wall women's basketball coverage. If that means the WNBA, if that means women's college basketball, if that means high school prospects, mm-hmm. we do it all. And um, I give the Liberty the coverage that they deserve. Um, and I feel very strongly about that. Uh, this is a franchise that has been around for 25 years, and it has not received the coverage it deserves for maybe 20 of those years. Mm-hmm. So I take this very seriously, as this is a really important team to the history of women's basketball. Yeah, no, I, the next, interesting, the next.substack.com it comes up on Google. I'll have to check that out. So I want to talk about the, the SI piece, because I, was something I loved about it was it captured both the depth of history and, like you said, it's a quarter of a century. You know, the conversation around the WNBA, around women's basketball, uh, has been this temporary thing. And, of course, it's not temporary. It's uh, Women have been playing basketball as long as men have been playing basketball, if you go back to the latter stages of the 19th century. But 
it's really hard, I feel like, to argue with 25 years in the nation's media capital of the world, perhaps even. And so when you set out to tell this story, I just wonder, what do you feel like were the dominant characteristics of what the liberty have meant over this quarter of a century? That was something that I thought about very long and hard. And something that I started with when this idea came together was, okay, this team has never won a championship, but it still holds on to this really rowdy and passionate fan base. I wanted to understand sort of the why and how of all of that. And what I had to do is I had to talk to the fans directly. I had to find these people. And what that took was search internet for other interviews with Liberty fans. And it was quite interesting because, of course, the pieces I found on maybe it was the Gothamist or the Village Voice, these were pieces all about how angry the fans were that the team was moving to Westchester. And so I, I looked at those articles online, and then I went to Facebook, and I went to social media, I went to Twitter as well, and I looked, and I tried to find people who were consistently responding to whatever the Liberty posted on their socials. Facebook does a really fantastic thing where you can see who the top fans are. And usually, I mean, the people who I got from sticking to that were very much so top fans. These were people who live not in New York mm -hmm. or fell in love with the team maybe in another country. And getting to talk to them really illustrated to me why this team has survived. And it's because of the fans. It's great. I mean, for Facebook um, to do something other than fomenting insurrection and keeping people from getting vaccines is obviously a, a real positive. So I'm excited about that. Um, you did mention, obviously, a bunch of different uh, fans in your piece. You talked about Sandy Cohen, uh, among others. I love the detail of, like, Lays for Leilani. Um, but, but it does. It reflects this thing that we saw it the other day, right, when we were both in the arena and Vicki Johnson comes back. Vicki Johnson hasn't played for the New York Liberty for well over a decade. But the cheers were very loud. There was just this understanding of the history. There's this group of people who... I wonder, and, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit better than I can, are they more bonded to the team in part because to be a Liberty fan for 25 years means to have had it hard? That's a very good question. Um, I actually thought a little bit about the Mets um, when I thought about all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, I've watched my father, and I've watched you, Howard, as a, someone who covers and has been a fan of the Mets go through the trials and tribulations and the, the, the really high highs and the really low lows. And it's interesting because I actually asked uh, the GM, Jonathan Kolb, about this. I asked Kia Clark about this. I asked head coach Walt Hopkins about this. And it was this idea of... All of these very difficult moments in Liberty history, especially in recent Liberty history, mm -hmm. the, I guess the, the tough road that it takes makes 
getting to this point, being at Barclays, being five and one, it makes it much more worth it. And it makes it sweeter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It makes it a much more rich story. We're not talking about a team that's akin to the, the New York Yankees or a team that's akin to, let's make a WNBA comparison. Um, I don't know. Minnesota the, in the last decade, even, you know. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, oh, for sure. Or, or really um, Phoenix, where you've had that stability. I was going to say Phoenix, yeah. too. Yeah. I really, yeah, Phoenix, I was really thinking about because they've been, they've been competitive for mm -hmm. a long time. And the Liberty have not been competitive in some time. The fact that it was since 2007 they had started 3-0 and was a fact that was amazing to me when we saw them get to a 3-0 and start. But it, it also, again, comes back to, and really there's a parallel story going on, I feel like, with formerly Sky Blue FC, now Gotham FC, and seeing teams that are riding a momentum, a wave in women's sports, but are now suddenly be, being given the tools to succeed, you know, being given the opportunity to play in a real arena. Uh, you know, the difference between Westchester County Center, and I, and I don't mean to insult your home county, but Westchester County Center was not Barclays, was not a place where a major league team ought to play in the same way that uh, Rutgers was simply not where Gotham should be playing and Red Bull Arena very much is. So to see it happening here and now, I, I wonder if it just feels like a real coming together of the zeitgeist, right? That it's time, it's place, but it, you know, the Liberty should have been in 2019 playing in a Barclays Center or Madison Square Garden, but that would have been a team that didn't do very well there. You know, now is sort of an opportunity to redefine, and they're redefining right down to, and, and I'm saying this not to be uh, flip, but a mascot. You know, all of this element of an effort to change how, how and the way we think of the New York Liberty. I mean, I really hope that Maddie makes an appearance with Ellie. I mean, they're so cute together. That photo was adorable. I really don't know what's going on there. No one's seen Maddie since. I'm hoping that when the Sparks come to town, because it's sort of like this original team matchup type thing, and when the Mercury do too, I hope that Maddie gets to come out and say hello. Um, there also better be an Amanda Zowie B video tribute when she comes back. Oh, I hope so. I also hope that her back heals. All yes. these injuries are just incredibly depressing. Um, but sure. when it comes to, I guess, this reimagining of the Liberty, which mm -hmm. I think you were sort of discussing before, yeah. it, it it's, it's very much so about the arena and it's about the facilities and it's about the Liberty feeling like they truly belong. Because if you think about it, people loved Madison Square Garden. People talk about how it's an honor to play there, how there's so much history there. But I feel like a team would rather play in a place where they felt confident in that they belonged mm -hmm. and that everyone who played in there embraced their team. And that's something we did not see at MSG. Mm -hmm. There's a part in my story in SI where I talk about how Jonathan Kolb, that's what he wanted. 
he wanted his team to feel like they were respected and to feel like they belonged, which was something they didn't get at MSG and at Westchester. I mean, they clearly did not, they did not belong there. They did not belong in a place where they had to get changed in like a shoebox. That was just... I feel like every conversation I've had about Westchester, either with Liberty folks or people who came to town, it was you didn't pronounce it Westchester. You pronounced it Westchester and then alongside the way you did. Like that was the proper pronunciation of Westchester as a WNBA venue. I mean, there was only maybe one positive to it, which was for us, we had the ability to be super close. Yeah. I mean, right now at Barclays, I'm using binoculars to try to get That's some true. of this reporting done. We we were and blocked. There was it was an obstructed view from the media section, if you remember. Because the camera's right. in front of you. Oh, right. So even that had its, you know, I mean, listen, at MSG, we used to be in Section 9, and we were right there close to the court. Listen, we'll, we'll see what that ends up looking like after, after COVID-19 disappears once more or is contained or whatever measure is being used to return to a vague sense of normal. Uh, but it, it, it's, it was closer. It was easier for us to get to to drive, but that's very different than it being a good, listen, my driveway would be dramatically easier for me to get to than Brooklyn, right? And I've got a hoop, one, you know, so you play half court or whatever, and I take it back, but it would not be what I would call WNBA ready. Oh, no, not, not at all. And Westchester, I, I think, was closer, I think, to my driveway than oh. to Barclays Center. In, oh, in absolutely. So in, in their locker room and in their practice facility, I just want to give some descriptions of sort of yeah. what's there and why it's different from what they've had in the past. So in my SI piece, I talked about the place that they practice. Uh, there's a Barclays Center practice court. It's not the HS, HSS um, facility, which is, I think, a couple blocks away. Mm -hmm. That's the Nets facility. But these are practice courts in the Barclays Center. These are professional courts, and they're relatively new. Mm -hmm. And what's very significant about um, how they're designed and decorated is that there is permanent, and I repeat, permanent, uh, Liberty logos and Liberty symbols uh, on these practice courts. And it's right beside the Brooklyn Nets and their logo. Um, it's up on a, like a padded wall and it's, it's permanent. And this is something that the Liberty did not have in the other places where they practiced. Yeah. If it was at the Reebok Club in New York, which is now an Equinox, uh, that was a fun detail that Rebecca Lobo gave me when I talked to her. And I said, you didn't practice at the Knicks uh, practice facility in, in Tarrytown or Greenberg? And she was like, no, it just didn't seem worth it to make that trek when we were only playing in New York for a few months. And then I'm thinking, well, then why didn't that continue? But anyway, when the Liberty then were playing at the Knicks facility in Tarrytown, I went back 
back and looked at old pictures. And I saw, okay, they put the Liberty Seal on the court, on the ground, but let's remember, that's far from permanent. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing as what you have in an in a uh, in an arena mm -hmm. where you know for a Nets playoff game they put the Nets logos on the ground and they can swap out the Liberty logos mm -hmm. it's that type of thing there wasn't anything there was nothing on those walls that could tell you that the New York Liberty belonged there and I, that they played there and I think it's important context that this was this is very much the feeling at Madison Square Garden when it comes to Jim Dolan generally, right? This is a person whose company exists and changes or doesn't change largely on his whims. And so that's something that is, I know, felt throughout the organization in many of their teams. But when it comes to women's basketball, which is so often treated as temporary in a lot of different ways, I, I, I know that had to matter in the same way the reverse has mattered in Minnesota. The fact that the Timberwolves and the Lynx have been co-branded in all of these different ways, which is why there's more than a fair degree of nervousness about potential new ownership in, in, in Minnesota. But the, the point being that having, having the owner of the Liberty be the person who also owns Barclays Center, not just the Nets, but also Barclays Center, you know, to what extent do you feel like that has set them on a course where you're going to be able to sort of meld these brands together and these identities together over the long term? Well, I think you saw it on Tuesday night, which was the night it was supposed to be a Liberty game, but the Nets had their playoff game. Mm -hmm. uh, front row, or very close to the court, who did you have watching the game, but you had Sabrina Ionescu? sitting next to Clara Wusai, one of the owners, and you had Jocelyn Willoughby there. Jocelyn Willoughby, who uh, ruptured her Achilles and who they miss very much. And they were given that visibility pretty quickly. And these photos of Sabrina hugging Kyrie Irving, of Sabrina taking pictures with Lindsey Vaughn, those visuals speak volumes volumes the fact that kevin durant goes out and invests in a company that is dedicated to women's sports that was huge and i get the sense that that's not going to be the last from durant mm -hmm. i i get the sense that when the nets uh when their postseason is over if that results in a championship or if it doesn't I have just a, an inkling, a feeling that certain Nets players are going to, they're going to be there. We already saw um, assistant coach Mike D'Antoni at a Liberty game. Mm -hmm. There is more commitment to these, this like merging of uh, culture. Mm -hmm. And speaking of Liberty culture, actually, that was something that I really wanted to study. I really wanted to understand what happened to the New York Liberty's culture. Mm -hmm. It completely fell apart when the team was moved to Westchester. And so what GM Jonathan Kolb and what 
Walt Hopkins, the head coach, had to do is they had to figure out how they were going to build a new one Mm -hmm. and what would define the new one. And so speaking of facilities and locker rooms, assistant coach Jackie Jamelis, who we all love in the women's basketball community because she's just beyond inspiring, she posted on Instagram, it was a picture of this poster that was in the locker room. I asked her, where was this? And she said, oh, it's in the locker room. And I'm like, oh, figures, because we haven't been there. And I I could get on that rant later. But what this poster was, is it was an outline of, I believe, the five boroughs. Mm -hmm. And it has a bunch of, uh, a bunch of words, and then a bunch of like acrostics. So in the middle of this, it says legacy, then there's a word growth, then they have a word that's maybe uh, vertical and it says collective, and then you have under the word growth, it says learning, together, confidence, then you have smaller words above the legacy, it says selfless, loyalty, hard work, then there's one it says community, and beneath that word it says collaborative, inclusive, caring, and then the last one, it says there's, it's below the giant legacy, which is in the middle. It says leaders. And what's underneath that is empathetic, educate, authentic. Mm-hmm. And these, these, all of the words that I just mentioned are integral and define the new liberty culture. That yeah. is what the effort. Jonathan mm-hmm. and Walt wanted from their new roster and that's sort of it's like the Hammurabi's code of the New York Liberty that whole poster that is I I mentioned this a lot but that's the type of observation I think you're only going to get from Jackie Powell um, in in the world of writing about women's basketball but um, it was very much a compliment Um, but let me ask you this you know Culture only goes so far. They could add the elite culture last year, but Sabrina was out. Keeners was shooting, you know, negative twenty percent or whatever for much of the season. I, that may not be the exact number, but you know, this was not a team built to win games. And it strikes me very much that this team. And I wrote a little bit about this over at five thirty eight, but you do this every day. Um, you know, this is a team that even as they weather Natasha Howard's loss for the next four to six weeks, and and you talked about that, I thought, really effectively in your piece that published today at The Next, it is a team that does a lot of things particularly well, shooting 43% from three. It is a team that plays at a pace and a style that accentuates what it does well, and it's making this trade, and Walt even said this in a press conference last week, you know, you're essentially giving up a guaranteed double-double to your established bigs in this league, you know, whether it's McCowan, who had, I think, 22-16 on opening night, Sylvia Fowles wasn't far off from that when they played Minnesota, but they won both of those games because they're making a trade-off. And so how much do you think, there's two threads to this, right? One is, and I want to take this first, how much do you think winning and having players 
able to do that allow you to be able to go back and talk about culture if you're the New York Liberty this year? That's a really good question because I noted in my SI piece that when I talked to Kia Stokes, she was like, well, our culture was just winning solved our problems. Mm -hmm. And thinking about that, that's not really a culture at all. Um, I mean, what is that? (laughs) But to, to answer your question, I think when you have the players that they brought in in this offseason, they were people who not only fit this offense and fit this defense, but they were people who led in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. So Sammy Whitcomb, she has an incredible story. But she's not the only one on this team that has a story like that, who had to really work their way up mm-hmm. to where they are. That's Benajelini. That's Rebecca Allen. That's even Natasha Howard, who no, wasn't no. initially given a real shot. And she worked really hard, and then she went out and she won three championships. Mm-hmm. So having the personnel that they have and the leadership capabilities that they do from their sets of experiences, what that does is that sets a really strong foundation for their younger players. That sets a really strong foundation for Sabrina, for Jasmine Jones, for Kylie Shook, Mm -hmm. for Michaela Onyenwede, Dee Dee Richards, Nay Odom, and Jocelyn Willoughby. That young core has a group of veterans who they are super confident in and who set an example for them every single day of what a winning culture looks like. Dee Dee is where that comes together, I feel like. Because Dee Dee is somebody who, and I talked to a lot of WNBA front office folks, the general idea was, look, she does not have the total skill set package in order to be successful in the W, right? And and foremost among that, and Walt talked about this after the last game, was she just wasn't a shooter. She just wasn't a willing shooter, which is a big deal. You know, people look at percentages, and that's fine, but a willing shooter really matters because you need to in those WNBA games, especially when you're coming off the bench, be in a position to help your team and be able to take those shots when the ball comes to you. And so when I saw Didi Tuesday night do two things, one, take multiple threes, but two, each time she's looking down at the court, she's seeing where that line is, and then she's hopping behind it so that she's taking a three and not a long two. That was so fundamental to you are incorporating what you were coached to do. To me, that's a question of, all right, can your culture elevate a player from a marginal WNBA player to a WNBA contributor. I, I don't have any doubt in Dee Dee Richards' ability to want to learn. Um, her basketball IQ is off the charts. I loved her defensive game in college. I love her size to be able to do what she's able to do, uh, really at both ends. And so if, if you're able to elevate it, then you see one pollinate the other. And that, I think, you know, speaks to your point. But that is the second half of what I wonder is this. 
they're five and one. But now Natasha's back on, you know, at the injured list. There should be an injured list in the WNBA, but that's a whole other conversation. There's, they have in Kylie Shook, somebody who's very skilled, who you've written about, but still needs to improve her strength and potentially her quickness in order to be somebody capable of holding down massive minutes against some of the biggest bids in this league. And you have uh, in Kia Stokes, we don't have to get into, um, but somebody who has some real limitations on her game that you have also written about because you don't pull punches in your coverage, ever. Is this team that started 5-1, and one, but now having to rely on those two and possibly, you know, a hardship exemption like Rashonda Gray comes back, um, but is that enough to weather the storm of coming up against, as what one of uh, one observer said to me, they have not played a contending team at full strength yet. When they played Minnesota, who I think is a top-four team ultimately, they were playing Minnesota without Nafisa Collier. Arguably their best player. They played Indiana, who I do not see as a top four team. They played Dallas, who's much improved, but I don't see as a top four team. They played Chicago without Candace Parker and Allie Quigley. So where does that leave you? You know, do you, how you can be better than two and twenty and still be short of a legitimate contender? Where do you think this team is? Oof. Wow. Um, so I think. Those are fabulous points, and I think the Liberty will see more losses in the next four to six weeks without Natasha Howard. But I think the culture is strong enough to withstand some of the adversity that is up and coming. We saw what happened when Tina Charles was completely unleashed on Friday, and we saw how they responded. And that was with Natasha Howard not at full strength. I mean, the Liberty really didn't even have Natasha Howard at full strength, and I think that's at any point worth this noting. Year. At any point this year in the 501 start? No, mm -hmm. not at all. And they found ways to win games. I think it's the personnel that's around Natasha Howard, that's that's Sabrina, that's Benigia Laney, that's Sammy Whitcomb, who just have such a will to win. And they find ways to energize the people around them. And I think we also have to talk about the Liberty's depth in all areas that are not the post. Mm -hmm. um, that depth has been... I guess, um, helping them move forward, helping them counter their weaknesses. The depth is so strong that they can counter their weakness in the post. I mean, what's Dee Richards, if not the 11th player on this roster, effectively, is able to come in, have huge minutes for them, get some steals, a bunch of assists. You know, all the players you're talking about with the will to win, too, you know, yes, all of that is true, and, and but for, you know, I, the stats nerddom that comes out whenever I talk about this stuff, but they're really efficient players too, right? Like we were talking about, and we saw that early on, you had this observation of the multiple times that Sammy Whitcomb cut off an opposing uh, fast break at the pass and kept the path to the basket from being completed 
in a way that you seldom saw. And, and I always go back to Sammy Wickham, great three-point shooter, terrific at holding down point guard uh, duties at times. But Sammy Wickham, if you go to Synergy, is always in the top quarter of the league in terms of defensive points per possession. This is a person who is a legitimate two-way player, which is why you know I called her the league's biggest bargain for years because she's making $50,000 a year playing for Seattle. And in, in a not unrelated note, Seattle won a bunch of titles with her. Go figure. Sorry, I mean, end of Sammy Wickham, but go, please go on. Well, I, I mean, the Liberty did that with a bunch of the players that they got. Yes. I mean, that was a common thread. They wanted two-way players, and actually, I think their philosophy changed a little bit, mm -hmm. which I've also written about, which is... Walt came in to his press conference and he talked about the three-point shooting. But then they looked at that. They looked at what went on in the wobble and they saw that the strengths of that team that really wasn't fit to win was on the defensive end. That's where the Liberty improved the most because they drafted a bunch of players that were defensive-minded first. Jazz Jones, Jocelyn Willoughby, Kylie Shook, Nay Odom. We have not seen Nay. I do believe that we are going to see her soon because I've heard that she began practicing today. Mm -hmm. She was shooting in practice yesterday. Um, Nay Odom was someone who held Joanna Bonner, um, Diana Taurasi, um, who else am I thinking? Pretty much the best offensive player on the team she faced to limited production. I think they put her on a Rike as well. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing that type of defense from Benajelani. When Nate Odom comes back, you're going to see that type of defense from her too. The question now is how much has she grown on offense? How much did she work on her shot over the offseason? Kylie Shook clearly did. Mm -hmm. Those two both didn't really go overseas because they wanted to work on their games in a different way. They wanted to develop on their own. And sometimes when you go overseas, you don't really get much time to develop because the coach is telling you what they want from you rather than the player themselves getting to dictate how they grow. That's sort of, I feel like, what you've seen from Kia Stokes. Um, she goes overseas and the coach tells her sort of what they need her to do and, and she does it and maybe she doesn't find those times to develop. Mm -hmm. But... I don't even remember where I'm going with this. But well, I think the well you, you made a really good point and, and a significant one about Benajah Laney and the development of this identity from threes and we're going to get what defense we can get, which is another point essentially that Walt was making at that initial press conference we were at what seems like forever ago, but was I think January 2020 if memory serves. And so not that long ago, but, you know, during the great before. And that obviously was not the way in which they went after players this offseason. You know, Natasha Howard is a former defensive player of the year. And Benajah Laney, who, like, you know, why aren't you talking about Benajah Laney enough? It's, you have to talk about Benajah Laney more. I'm really disappointed in you not talking about Benajah Laney. Um, I keep seeing tweets all over Twitter about how nobody's talking about Benajah Laney. Um, there's like a hundred people talking about how we need to talk about Benajah. Like maybe just 
like talk about Benajel anymore, right? Like I mentioned and did some reporting in my piece this week about how a WNBA talent evaluator was like, Sabrina's been great, but Benajel is the MVP. And I hope that was a sufficient amount of talking about Benajel who was very much on the MVP voice, but like, you know, why aren't you? I guess, I, I think this is the real question. You've mentioned Benajel and uh, identified the things she's done really well in all of your pieces uh, about the New York Liberty so far this year. But I, you may notice we haven't talked about Benajel in pieces about the other 11 WNBA teams. Do you think that people should talk about Benajel more? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, I, can't. I can't help but laugh. Oh, um, God, I can't. Uh, also, I'm not going to give anybody their flowers, if that's okay. I'm just going to cover the league uh, 24-7, 365, um, and people can determine from that coverage the players who do really well, and then the fans can give their flowers. Because media, it is not our job to give them flowers. And it is not our job to talk about players more because somebody on Twitter talks about it. Um, it is our job to cover fully, and that's what we're going to continue to do. Sorry, sidebar, I just can't. I can't. It's it's like the well-meaning version of the columnists I saw for the last decade who come to a women's sporting event and write a column about how people should be covering it more and then never come back. Like, do do the damn thing, right? That's what we're here to do, to do the to do the thing, not to complain about the meta critique about doing the thing. Sorry, you were saying about Benajelani. I mean, the thing that's really interesting about her is in all of my coverage during the regular season mm -hmm. at the next, I haven't gone deep on her yet. And there's ah, a reason for ah, that. You're part of the oh, problem. Oh, I know. I'm part of the problem. I'm part of the problem. Sorry, well, the reason is. She's been so consistent in every single game she's played. I'd be writing the same thing every time. It's true. And that, for those folks who are listening to this and are like, I need my Benajelani content, I will, I will give you some reassurance that it is coming. It is. I am but watching you her very it in. closely. By the way, Jack, you have folded that in. It's not as if you have avoided observations, critiques, you know, but there's... This amazing number, and I just, I want to pull it up if I can. Uh, it came after her sixth game of the season. Benajelani has a minimum of 20 points in each of her first six games. Here's the list of players who have done that with 20 plus points to open a season in each of the games, right? Cynthia Cooper, Lauren Jackson. Cheryl Swoops, Elena Deladon, Cappy Pondexter. Those are the only players who have done six or more 20-plus points to open a season in WNBA history. I mean, that is an absurd set of company that she is in. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And a great defender and to boot. I mean, that was what kept her in the league for years, where she was able to defend before she learned how to shoot uh, 40% from three under Nikki, and now, you know, what is she, 52%, something like that. It's absurd. It is absurd, but I think 
Benigel Laney is such a symbol for what this team is about mm-hmm. and what this team wants to be. They wanted to be a team that's gritty and that has such a will to win. And you can argue the same as for Sabrina. I mean, these two are super close. Their mm-hmm. chemistry is so palpable on the floor. But if we're looking at Benigel Laney, someone who went to Rutgers, had a great career at Rutgers, then was drafted by the the Sky. Uh, She bounced around a bit, didn't really see a ton of minutes, and people just regarded her as more like a defensive stalwart. Mm -hmm. But she takes it upon herself to develop and grow. She She had a will inside her to show people how great she could be. And this is how she views the Liberty. She talks a ton about this whole idea of, oh, the Liberty aren't for real. You know, the the Liberty still have to prove themselves. And she loves that. Mm -hmm. Benajelani was not a Sabrina Ionescu. She was not someone who entered the league with these high expectations. And I think she's, she's a symbol for what the Liberty are about. The Liberty did not enter 2021 with these high expectations. I mean, maybe the GMs of the league and uh, gave them more uh, respect than us of the media did. Mm-hmm. But what she is about is what the front office wants the Liberty to be. I mean, it, it was just, again, what I thought was perfect, and you speak to that because Howard is the same way, is that the players who happen to fit them best from a basketball perspective happen to have precisely the kind of story that would help them build what they are seemingly well on their way to becoming. Um, but I, I'm like you, I'm bullish about them, even with Natasha out, and then you have enough time. If Natasha's timeline, even if it's six weeks, you have enough time to bring her back in, you win enough games, you get to the playoffs, and you get strong enough, nobody is going to want even if they don't finish top four, nobody's going to want to have to face in a single elimination game a team that shoots 40% or better from three. You know, it's just a very frightening prospect, I think, for all involved before you even get into Natasha Howard. All right, I think I think we <clears throat> spent enough time actually talking about Benajelani, not just talking about people talking about how you're not talking enough about Benajelani. Um, glad you gave her her flowers, her plants, her various garden implements. I think I think we've done that. Yes, Laney's on. I don't know. I saw this tweet that was like, you know, oh, no way would Benajah Laney ever did a vote for MVP. And it's like, well, I don't know. I vote for MVP every year. I'm at the damn games. I spend hours and hours crunching the numbers, and I'm very dedicated to the idea of picking the best player. Benajah Laney is very much on my radar. If I were picking my MVP today, I don't know that she wouldn't be the answer, you know, and I'm also feeling glad that I don't have to pick today because there's going to be a lot more still to come. We've got six games in and a 32-game season. But anyway, just, I, I think it's useful occasionally for reminding people how this stuff actually works. Um, so I try to do that from time to time without sounding like, a grouchy person in the process, which I think I failed at today, but so be it. All right, before we go, I want to do two things. I want people to know how they follow your work, number one, and number two, anything 
specifically that you want to be able to have people focus on in the work that you've got upcoming? Good stuff. All right. So y'all can follow me at uh, my Twitter handle, which is the same on Instagram too. It is at classic J uh, J as in my, my name begins with a J and pow, that's the first syllable of my last name. Um, so that's where you can follow me. A lot of my wall-to-wall coverage, as we mentioned before, is at the next. You can read my piece on Sports Illustrated all about uh, how the Liberty have put their, themselves back into relevance. And what's coming up from me uh, some story, a story about mental health and this league that is coming soon, and that I could talk for hours about how important that is, and uh, talking about how women's basketball has grown because of the influence of social media. So look for those two ideas in my work, in addition to all the wonderful Liberty coverage that I provide at the next. If, if I could, and if you'll forgive me for this point of personal privilege. Jackie's work is not like anybody else's work, and I tweeted this out today, but Jackie comes to it with a varied liberal arts background in the way in which she thinks about these things, and there is history, and there is pop culture, and there is music, and there is art to what she does. And so I just really would encourage you all to be following her on every social media platform. Um, it is one of the great professional pleasures of my life that I get to work with you every day. And so I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being here. And thanks for being a regular part of everything that we do. Oh, that's, that's very sweet. I mean, it's, it's a full circle moment for me. Um, when I met you two years ago, I was in a very dark place and uh, covering this league and working with this wonderful group of people at the next it, uh, it got me out of whatever dark place I was in, and I owe so much to that support. So it's, it's been an honor, and it will continue to be. Uh, I hope for as long as I have the privilege of doing this. That is my hope. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time. And you have yourself a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. And enjoy some really good WNBA basketball coming.